we walk with Jesus, we're going to walk through the cross. You have to go through the cross to get into resurrection life. The cross means death. It's not jewelry. It's death. And then you die. You die to your old self. But it's beautiful. It's like you're already in debt. And now you're saying, hey, Lord, I have this business. I have a million dollars in debt. Can you? I'm going to die to this. And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to die. And the Lord's like, yes, I'm willing. Because we basically get born into debt. If you think of sin, is, is a debt. We have to pay back. And some of you are still trying to perform yourself out of this debt, but you cannot. You need to die with Jesus, and then he's going to come, and he's going to deliver you from that debt. Because he paid the price. He spent all of who he was on the cross so that we don't have to struggle with the debt of sin, the shame, the condemnation. It's powerful. You need, you need to believe that the good news also, that he has delivered you from sin. So if he has delivered you from sin, you die to Jesus, then you then you are righteous within the eyes of God. You're holy. You are blameless. Not because you're never going to sin again, but because God looks at you through the blood of Jesus. And that is the most important opinion about your life, is how does God feel about you? Not how does your friend or your girlfriend or your your grandma or your mother-in-law feels about you, is how does God feel about you? And if you're in Christ, if you made that commitment, you have followed Jesus through the cross, you have confessed your sin, and you've surrendered your life. I'm not talking about living perfectly. I'm just talking about surrendering everything. Then God looks at you and he says, hey, you are righteous. You're in right standing with me. The right standing with the other people, they will follow with the right people. And you will not be in right standing with everybody around you. You will not be in right standing. Because people don't like the truth. They don't like the love of Jesus even. They don't like the story of the cross. They don't like the fact that they cannot perform themselves out of this debt of sin. They feel that they need to be able, because they are amazing and they self-made men, and therefore they can somehow pay the price for their sin, but you cannot. So the most important thing is how does God feel about you? And he looks at you through the blood of Jesus and he feels good about you. And yes, there's a demand in your life because God is saying, listen, I've called you for so much more. I didn't only want to give you a passport into heaven, but I wanted you to be an ambassador of heaven on this earth so that more people can get to know me. But he is also saying, listen, I'm going to be with you. So let's look at the resurrection story. That is history. That is truth. Matthew 28, 1 to 20. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. I love it. The woman get mentioned a lot. In the resurrection story. It's not only it's not a men's gospel. 
It is for everybody. It's interesting also that the first person that meets with Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the probably a prostitute, the one in Mark 6 verse nine, 16 verse 9 says, the one out of whom Jesus drove seven demons. Mary had to be a virgin. Mary, his mother, had to be a virgin to deliver the baby, the Messiah, to the world. But now in the new covenant, it changes. The first person to meet with Jesus is the one who was probably a prostitute, the one who had seven demons, the impure one. So it's the Mary, the pure one, had to bring Jesus into this world in the old covenant. In the new covenant, it is Mary Magdalene, the sinner, that receives Jesus. That's the difference between the old and the new. And if, we, if you listen what, for instance, Wesley prayed over the creatives, is exactly this. Lord, thank you that you're going to give us a platform and that we don't think too much of ourselves, but that we will be the influence with the love of God. And if you bring holiness into unholy territory, then unholiness needs to leave. But some of us, what we do is we bring holiness into unholy territory, and we cannot understand that unholiness is also powerful. Therefore, you need to keep your relationship with God, the Holy One, the Holy Spirit, intact so that you can be the influence because if you bring the holy spirit into unholy territory then he's going to change he's going to do the work it's not your skill it's not your ability that's going to change the unholiness into holiness it is the holy spirit on the inside so keep that in mind so the resurrection means that we can now the new covenant we can go to the impure and we can touch that and it will become pure we can touch the unholy and it will become holy it's powerful it's a powerful idea think of the old testament you're not even allowed to touch a dead person and now jesus says hey going to raise the dead so the woman they get it well done we need more women powerful women in church so go and change the world ladies and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like light, lightning and his clothing white as snow. Angels are real. Angels are real. So I was just talking to a guy. I think I've told this story a couple of times in church over last week. And he says he still remember we did deliverance on him in that, in that room. And an angel kept his hands together. He couldn't move his hands because he was swinging all around. And I'm being a skinny guy. I don't like uh, physical fights when I do ministry. So I said, hey, angels, please keep his hands together. And the angel kept it together. He says he still remember that. He came to me and said, hey, Alma, you remember that time that the angel kept my hand together, chained my hands to each other, and I couldn't move them. So angels are real. If this is in the Bible, then it's truth. We can allow for them to help us and minister with us. And for fear... Of him the gods trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, and this is very funny to me. 
And Jesus appeared and he said, Greetings! This is brilliant. Jesus had the best sense of humor. So he just, he died on the cross. He paid for the sin of mankind. And this is how he chooses. His first words is not like, lo, I have conquered death. His first words is, greetings. Brilliant, Jesus. And then they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Such a sad verse. To this day, the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They're still doubting. And then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And often we we focus on that. We say, thank you, Jesus, for the great commission. But the Great Commission is basically, it's flowing out of the resurrection power. It's flowing out of the victory over death. And sometimes we think, okay, great, so I need to have victory, but we don't connect that there's also a victory that we need to manifest in our sphere of influence, that we need to bring to other people. You cannot divorce those two things, the resurrection and the Great Commission. They come together. I love that Jesus, it says very clearly, some of them still doubted, but Jesus says, okay, some of you are still doubting, but I'm just going to give you the whole thing now. You're still doubting whether this is really happening that I really could raise from the dead, but I'm just going to give you what you need to do. And it's not a small thing. It's not like, hey, uh, maybe go and tell, maybe if you really feel like it, go and tell your mother-in-law about Jesus. No, what he's saying. He's saying, listen here, I'm going I'm to give you now my heart for the world. And this is what you need to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's massive. But Jesus, we're still doubting. No, no. As you go, you're going to realize this is truth. And often I find that also to be a principle that I live by. I read in the scriptures And I'm going to go like, okay, if it's true here in the scriptures, I'm going to practice this. Even if I haven't seen it. I've never seen somebody raised from the dead, but I know it's in the scriptures. So I'm going to pray for somebody that are dead. I had a friend, he phoned me late at night in Stalemar. She said, hey, my aunt's in the mortuary. Can we go and pray? 
I'm like, great. I don't think they're going to allow us in. Like late at night. Probably like 11 o'clock at night. Like, yeah, let's go. So we went in there. We phoned the people. He made up a story about him just wanting to say goodbye to his aunt. And they said, we're gonna, and they said we can get this room alone with her. And, and we worshiped Jesus and we prayed and nothing happened. The reason why we did that is because the scripture says we can do it. And it's going to happen. We have, a, we have a guy in our church, he prayed, his, his dad was already declared dead. And he prayed for his dad and he called back the doctor. And the doctor said, hey, your dad's alive. It will happen. So we read it, we act upon it. So let's look at Peter. How did Peter's life change? Let's give it a bit of a, a human perspective, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 26, we see that Peter denies Jesus. Peter did a few funny things. He's a colorful personality. He's the first guy to walk out on water. He is the one that cuts off the soldier's ear. He's the one that tells Jesus, no, no, no. What you're telling me about dying, that's not going to happen. Jesus turns around and says, hey, I rebuke you, Satan. Imagine that. Jesus telling you, I rebuke you, Satan. And then Peter denies Jesus, not once, not twice, three times. So this, this is who Peter is. Think of where you have messed up. Most of you can say, at least I haven't denied Jesus three times. Maybe once. Maybe I've not denied. But look at the hope that's in the death of Jesus and the resurrection. Then Mark 16 verse 7, we see that the angels telling the, the ladies, go back to the disciples, and they use these words. They say, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Jesus is like, hey, I need to specifically mention to them that Peter is still included in the disciples. Because think of what Peter went through. I deny Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. He feels like he will never have the ability to make right with Jesus. And then Jesus commands the ladies, hey, listen, get the disciples and Peter. I think that's what God often does with us. It's like, hey, hey, listen here. Um, those people in Armour need to come. And I don't know if, if you that are parents, you've ever been in this situation. So you know that one kid's a little emotional. So you just want to go out and, and do something. You want to go to the beach. And then there's one kid's like, no, I'm not going to go. Actually, let Papa. I don't like that. I don't want to be, I'm, I'm mad at this. So, and you, you know, okay, so you need to bring you have the group that get any kids mostly well behaved, but then there's one. We need to get Yanni. So what we what we do is we work a strategy around Yanni. We say, hey, okay, so kids, get in the car, Yanni. We're gonna stop for McDonald's ice cream. Or Yanni, we have 
five and a half Easter eggs still in the, in the car. You can get two and a half. The rest need to share. You like, you specifically mention Yanni because what are you trying to do? You're trying to reconcile him to the Okinanis. And that's what God's doing. He's calling out your name. He's like, hey, Yanni, come. We're going to do this. Peter, you are still part of the disciples. That is your identity. And then John 21, beautifully, Jesus then restores Peter. Three times Jesus got denied by Peter. Three times Jesus then asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Each time Peter is like, yes, I love you, Lord. Yes, I love you, Lord. And if you read that passage, you can feel the frustration building up with Peter. Like, okay, why are you asking me? Three times now, the same question. And then Jesus says, tend to my feet, feed, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep, look after my flock. It's beautiful. So three times, Peter denied Jesus three times. Then Jesus asked him, do you love me? And he restores Peter fully. So then we go 50 days after the resurrection. Only 50 days. What happened? What happens 50 days after the resurrection? The Holy Spirit comes down. So Peter denies Jesus three times. Then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit gets poured out on the 120 in the upper room. Peter stands up in the middle of this chaos. Some people are like, wow, those people are drunk. Wow, this is, why? This is so weird. Peter stands up. This guy who couldn't even say I was with Jesus when a lady asked him, a servant asked him, aren't you the guy that's with Jesus? He couldn't even say yes to this. So now fast forward 50 days, he stands up, he delivers a sermon that still to this day, the, the scholars are like, wow, it's so brilliant. We need to study this. Look at his hermeneutic. Wow, Old Testament, it's covenant. He understands it perfectly within 50 days. And how many people get saved? 3,000 people get saved. By a guy who 50 days before that denied Jesus. So if you, think, if you think your sin is too great, now last week, week and a half back, I watched porn. God cannot use me. No, God can use you. You need to stop your porn addiction. Yes, you need to get rid of your screen. You need to follow Jesus through the cross. You need to surrender everything again. You need to step into his victory, and then God's going to use you. But allow for God to ask you that question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And again, we see the connection between loving God and then also being obedient to also tending to the sheep, to the other people. It's so important to get that connection. We cannot divorce this. So Peter stands up, delivers a theological, brilliant sermon. Brilliant. So what happened? It was the Holy Spirit. Like it says in, in Romans 8 verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So Already a powerful thought. So who raised Jesus from the dead? The Spirit of God. 
in that spirit. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, sorry, that spirit dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul is saying this is what happened to Peter. Like he has the Holy Spirit being poured out into him. So he's living now with the resurrection power, not only as a thought, but as a physical manifestation. That's why he can stand up and deliver the sermon. 3,000 people get saved. If you read through, for instance, the parable of the sower, Jesus speaks of a hundredfold blessing or fruit that will come from from faithfulness, of sowing the seed. Peter, he gets a thousandfold blessing. Three times he denies Jesus. That gets turned around, flipped around by the power of the Holy Spirit. He stands up, 3,000 people get saved. So I think the, the message of the cross is, is beautiful. Get forgiveness, but Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. And then Jesus, raised by the power of the Spirit and ascended into heaven, he takes us along with that journey because of the Spirit that he pours out and we receive with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So now we can, as Christians, we identify with his death. So you can go like, woohoo, my old life is gone. It's weg. It's gone. It's powerful. It's gone. I'm not a sinner anymore. This is not my identity. I look back at some of the stupid things that I've done, which includes like lots of lust stuff, pornography. I'm like, almost, that is so stupid. That's not who I am anymore. So stupid. I cannot relate to that almost anymore. The way that I was thinking who I was. Why? Because of what God did. I identify with His cross. And how do you do that? You just say, Lord, I surrender. But then I also identify with His resurrection. The authority that God has given me. I'm not a victim of anything that happened to me or still going to happen to me. I'm not a victim. You cannot be a victim if the victor came into your life, you cannot be a victim. It's difficult. It, is, it doesn't make sense. From heaven's point of view, like I think the angel's like, whoa, look at that. That doesn't make sense, Jesus. Why are they doing that? There's a whole church full of victims, but they have the victor in, on the inside of them. It doesn't make sense. These human beings, they just knew the truth. And then we also identify with his ascended life, that we are seated in heavenly places. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says. So this is good news. I was thinking we should call Sunday, goodest Sunday. I don't know why we go from good to better to best. It doesn't make sense to me. If you ask any kid, okay, give me, what comes after good, then they would go, like, like my kids would go, goed, goeder, goedste. It just makes a lot more sense. But this is the goodest Sunday 
Ever. And every Sunday is a, the goodest Sunday. The reason why we have church on the Sunday and not on the Saturday is because of Jesus that was raised on the third day after the Sabbath. He even honored the law. He didn't come out on the Sabbath. And he came out on the Sunday. It's, it's, it's powerful. So this is a good Sunday. Can I shake all of you? And I know some of you are already living in victory. But you are so powerful with Jesus on the inside. So leave all the nonsense. Leave the sin. It's just stupidity. It's killing you. It's killing your purpose. It's, it's killing the way that you think about you, yourself. Just leave it. There's so much more if you just live with Jesus. I really, really enjoy my life. I can even say I'm a, I know people don't want to use this word in church because somehow it's not, not a holy word, but I'm happy. I'm happily married, I'm a happy father, I'm a happy pastor, I'm a happy friend. I have so much happiness in me because of what Jesus did. Yes, I still have the fear of the Lord on me. I had a, I had a dream last night where I was, I was trying, I was about to do something that was, that was horrible, like a, a sin thing. In the, I, I woke up and I thought I, I did something horribly wrong. And I was like, wow, what's the, God, what are you going to do now? How did I not open doors to, to the church? And then, because you, you thought it's so, it was so real. It was so, this thing that I that did in my dream, it's a horrible thing. I don't even want to tell you guys. And uh, I was like, oh, shucks, I, I'm going to mess this whole thing up. And I'm like, it was just a dream. <laughs> I'm like, Lord. Keep me within this fear of God. And I, I grew up with the fear of God. My, my dad's a man of integrity. My grandma, my grandfather prayed for me. I'm the seven generation pastor. I live with all of that. It's, it's, it's a load, a load full of blessing. But I carry this on my shoulder. I don't want to mess it up. I spoke to one of my cousins. He messed it up. He had sexual relationships before marriage, and he said to me, Amo, I messed all of that up. I looked in his eyes, and I could see the fear of God, and I'm like, I'm not going to, I don't want to go there. I don't want to get close to that. Yes, there's forgiveness for him, and yes, there's grace for him, but I want to walk the straight in the narrow with Jesus, because that is the happy place. Not the easy place, but it's the happy place if you look at it from a place of your spirit, a spiritual perspective on your life. Okay. Great.